Welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm Samuel Timothy. And I'm Taylor Rowe. Today's episode, we got into 13 mistakes that uh, B2B CEOs make when it's related to sales and marketing. We talked to a ton of CEOs every day, you know, every year over the last however many years. It's been hundreds, if not thousands of CEOs and marketing leaders. And so we compiled a list of probably the 13 most common mistakes, excuses, misconceptions, objections, however you want to phrase it, that we hear on a consistent basis and address them one by one. So hopefully you find some value in this list. Um, you know, Maybe you've said some of these things yourself and you're looking to make a shift in your mindset when it comes to digital marketing or get a better understanding of what successful B2B organizations are doing in relation to digital marketing. So please give us a like, subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend or colleague. Anything helps. We really appreciate it. And uh, let's dive right into the episode. All right, Taylor, we probably in the last 10 plus years, 16 plus years of uh, having conversation with CEOs and senior leaders, we've seen every excuse in the book when it comes to why they don't want to invest into marketing. We've also seen very smart and forth, you know, forward-thinking leadership that actually takes marketing and sales as a priority and move, you know, take very strategic moves. So on today's episode, we really want to talk about misconceptions or mistakes or excuses in some scenarios uh, that CEOs use to not invest into marketing. So that's what we want to do. Absolutely, and so we put together, as you mentioned, yeah, thirteen. Most common um, mistakes or misconceptions um, in terms of mindset that we see CEOs make, I mean, pretty much every week we have at least one conversation with somebody who every, every business, you know, we work with clients in the manufacturing space, financial, professional services, technology, software companies, and every business, every company thinks they're unique in terms of their problems and challenges. And while there's some truth to that, we still tend to hear the same, you know, common misconceptions and mistakes over and over, right? So we wanted to address these, you know, once and for all and be able to kind of explain why we believe these are, you know, misconceptions because, again, we do see very successful companies that are not thinking this way and that have changed the way that, that they are thinking. So to kick things off, we'll start with one that we hear all the time, right, is it's maybe not even that we hear is kind of something that we see is organizations, companies looking at marketing as a cost center rather than a, a profit center, right? When you look at your your sales team, right? You look at hiring an additional sales rep, pretty much every company, you know, is able to say, well, for each additional sales rep, we're expecting or anticipating X number of dollars in revenue, right? 500000 a million, $2 million in revenue per rep. When we look at marketing, a lot of times they just look at it as an expense, right? They say, hey, well, we spend... 3% or 5% of our, you know, gross revenue or, you know, net revenue, however they, however you actually uh, measure it, they just look at it as an expense. This is what we do. We're going through the motions and we, you know, we spend X number of dollars on marketing because that's the budget. Can't go over the budget because, you know, that's directly uh, cutting into our profits, right? So it's just something we need to do. And it's something that we, we do every year and this is the cost and any additional marketing expenses is directly coming out of, you know, our pocket, essentially. essentially. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is they underinvest into marketing and then they see, you know, lackluster results. And then they say, well, marketing doesn't work. So the conclusion is derived from their own decisions, but not necessarily looking at it from the right perspective. If they really truly understood the lifetime value of a customer and invested according to the, the appropriate amount that they should be investing to acquire that customer, and see the results from that, then you know they wouldn't they wouldn't have uh, such experience from their marketing initiatives. So that's one big mistake that we see that marketers, I mean, senior leadership make uh, when it comes to marketing. Absolutely. So the second misconception that we see, second mistake, is you know I kind of alluded to this in the first one, but basically we see companies going through the motions, right? And we say, well, these are identified as marketing activities. So this comes out of our marketing budget. And again, we don't have any additional budget to do any additional activities. So things like internal communications, coordinating trade shows, creating brochures, creating flyers, coordinating, you know, in-person events, attending other trade shows, you know, that's obviously costs a lot of money. 
require somebody to be on staff or maybe multiple people to be on staff in order to accomplish it. And so they look at the overall marketing budget and they say, hey, we're spending 100000 or 200000 or whatever that is. And then when you look at a, a new channel, an additional channel like you know digital, right? We try to say, well, we're we're doing this is our marketing budget, and we need we still need to do all these things. We still need to create these flyers, brochures. We need to go to job fairs and career fairs. Those are all part of our marketing initiatives. And now we somehow have to figure out how to add digital in there without increasing the budget. Yeah, and then they go invest into like trade shows, flyers, all of those things that they <clears throat> think it's all oh, this is all great job we're doing marketing by buying some promotional products and you know whatever those things are. Seems like a lot of busy activities that looks like marketing, but not necessarily, you know, returning the type of ROI that you're expecting. And then that again goes back to considering marketing as an expense again every year. Like, oh, we spent all that money last year buying all these flyers. We didn't get anything out of it. Yeah. And I think it really comes down to having a clear understanding of different types of marketing and being able to categorize exactly what it is we're doing, right? There's things that we need to do around brand awareness and sort of, you know, if you want to look at it as kind of keep the lights on type of things, you know, there's a lot of clients, companies that say we have to be at these trade shows not to get new customers, but because our existing customers are there and we just have to continue to show people that we are in the space, right? There's obviously, you know, marketing that you're doing in terms of recruiting. Uh, Like I mentioned, trade shows, uh, not trade shows, but uh, career fairs, job fairs, those types of things. There's, demand marketing, performance marketing, there's, you know, marketing focus and driving revenue. So like, if you just lump everything into, you know, marketing, right, then yeah, of course, the, uh, you know, sponsoring your son's little league baseball team, so that you can put their, their your company name on their, their t-shirt is sure, that's part of marketing, but is that actually driving revenue, like some of these other activities? So like, you need to be able to categorize exactly what type of marketing you're doing. And that's a huge piece that's missing. It's all lumped into one bucket. Mm-hmm. So what other, you know, misconceptions do you hear typically on a, a daily basis, Sam? Yeah, this one probably mostly from the manufacturing sectors or uh, industries that are kind of behind in time in terms of adapting new methods of marketing, the, you know, the excuse or at least the misconception they have is that our customers are not online and digital yeah. marketing doesn't work. Yeah. We hear that all the time. Right. And it's a, uh, it's kind of a catch 22, right? You know, our customers are online or, you know, what, what the, the way that I hear it phrased a lot is like, we don't get customers through our website, right? Our customers mm-hmm. don't find us through our website. Well, they don't find you through your website because you're not doing anything to allow them to find you through the website, right? Yes, the customers you got, you get most of your customers from trade shows or from word of mouth or from referrals because that's all you're doing, right? So it's hard to explain again if, you don't, if you're not open-minded enough to look at you know, the potential. But the reality is, is that pretty much no matter what industry you're in, I mean, the question you need to ask is like, are your customers, right? Whoever your customers are, they are people, right? At the end of the day, the decision makers you're trying to get in front of, are they online? Do they, are they online in any capacity? And unless they're in some corner of the world, you know, third world country where they don't have access to internet, um, I will guarantee you the answer is yes, they are online, right? So we need to look at how can we get in front of them? How can we educate them? How can we be efficient and effective with our, our messaging in order to get in front of them at the right time? Because they, again, they are online. Uh, now, maybe what, what we're trying to explain as, you know, if I put myself, play devil's advocate here, maybe what the CEOs are trying to explain is like, that's not how they make decisions, right? This is not how these decisions are made. But there's data to support that, right? We can look at search volumes. We can look at, we can run tests on you know social media. We can look at targeting parameters. So the beauty of digital is that we can come up with whatever conjecture and you know hypothesis that we, we want to in terms of this will work, this won't work, but we can find out pretty quickly whether or not it's going to work. And in the B2B space, we've seen it time and time again where, you know, Clients, customers are skeptical and think that, you know, this is not going to work for our industry because our industry is unique and we're able to, you know, thankfully prove them wrong. And they're, they're very happy when we do prove them wrong and, and actually, you know, get in front of their customers and generate leads and customers online. So things are certainly changing. They've already changed. B2B is always a little bit behind, you know, the consumer world, but the same methods, same ideas and strategies typically carry over. So 
yeah, we see that. We hear that all the time. That's a great one. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the funny thing is uh, these same people that actually says, Hey, our customers are not online. They don't make purchase decisions that way. They just went to some golf website and customized their clubs uh, and just bought, you know, some really custom clubs or went to Tesla's website and customized and configured a Tesla and made a, you know, made a deposit for $10,000 on their credit card and say, Hey, our customers are not online. Um, yeah, which is that, which is a great point of you. You look back and you say, well, n- you know, five years ago, you would have said no one would ever purchase a car online, a car, right? Or no mm-hmm. one would ever purchase a house. I mean, house a car is like typically you know people's biggest, biggest purchases, right? Uh, biggest stressors of of you know people's lives as well. And the traditional way of making those purchases would have never happened online, right? But now we have access to information. The way, you know, you have Zillow and 3D tours and you can walk through, you can do Google Maps and look at the neighborhood. You can look at statistics around school districts, all these kind of things for a house. So more people are accustomed to looking at things and being able to put themselves in that position without actually going there. So I think you need to ask yourself that, right? If if we're in the industry where you feel like, hey, our customers won't do this type of research online, and, and we're, maybe we're not talking about making a purchase, right? Because if you're you do something that's completely custom and it's it's hard to to do that over on you know the internet, it's not going to be e-commerce. It's still going to be a twelve month sales cycle, whatever that is. Like, ask yourself, how do we create a best in class inbound buying experience, right? Because that's what those companies are are doing, right? Is in the standard way or in the current way of doing business with you, they won't do it online. Well, how do we make that happen? What would that look like if we could make a better experience for our customers to find the information they're looking for, do their own research and due diligence? We can educate them on common questions and things like this, misconceptions that they may have, help them understand the process and ultimately get them to take that next step in that, that buying process, whether that is an online transaction. You know, obviously we see it a lot with software companies. People are, you know, buying hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of technology just because they're able to watch demos, read reviews, set up a trial, set up a sandbox environment, run tests, and ultimately make a purchase a lot of times without even involving salespeople. So it is possible, but you need to ask yourself, you know, how do we take that first step in, in making our website, our digital presence, a better buying experience? So stop saying, hey, our customers aren't online or they won't make a purchase online and start asking yourself, how can we make this happen? Because the world is trending that way. Obviously, you know, people are obsessed with Amazon and uh, next day delivery, same day delivery, all these type of things. So we need to adapt as leaders in the B2B space um, and figure out how do we make it just a little bit better you know, every day, every month, every year. Yeah. Well, which is the the next excuse is kind of the result, the the reason by their website isn't producing the results, right? So the common misconceptions we've heard people say is, oh, website just need to be a brochure with text and images because no one reads text today. And that actually is is a big mistake because oftentimes the reason why your customers aren't able to find you is because of the fact that the website hasn't done a great job is informing Google and other search engines what your business stands for, what problems do you solve, and then who do you serve, and and how can your end customers find the information they're looking for to solve the business challenges that they have. So if your website isn't doing that, then that's part of the reason why you're actually are feeling the pain of like, well, our customers aren't coming to us. We don't get leads through our website. So I think the question you need to ask yourself is, is our website doing a great job? Kind of like you said, uh, Taylor, you know, are we providing the best user experience or the pus- uh, customer buying experience for our prospective customers? Uh, if we're not doing that and if we're treating our website just as a brochure like in the 90s and the 80s, all we have is just a bullet list of services that you do and a contact you know, name or phone number or barely any, any other form of content in the, on the site, then Google or other search engines cannot tell you who you are what you do and how you serve your end customers. Yeah, this is primarily true uh, or especially true if you're focusing on organic search as the main driver of of traffic, right? Because you have to find that balance of, yes, you don't want to overwhelm your customer with too much text, too much information, but you need to have enough information that Google will determine or deem that you are relevant enough to show up, authoritative enough to show up for that particular search, right? So whatever the search is, we have to have comprehensive content around that topic. 
So you can be very, like if we're addressing a particular topic, you can be very direct with your answer, but it needs to be comprehensive, right? So we're not saying have a bunch of fluff content on your website that just overwhelming, but you do need to answer the question in its entirety, right? Specifically around research related searches. And the more relevant content that you have, you know, whenever people say, well, our, our people don't like to read, Again, it goes back to that idea of like a, a catch 22, you know, the chicken or the egg is like, are people not spending enough time on your website because you don't have enough content or are we, we don't like, you can't say, oh, we, no one spends time on our website because they don't like to read. It's like, well, we don't have the right content. We're not engaging enough. We're not explaining exactly what it is. And also it doesn't always have to be one form of content, right? So whatever that topic is you're creating, it might be better articulated in a video than in text, right? So there's a balance you certainly have to find, um, but that is something that we hear a lot is like, we don't want to go overboard with the content. To me, that's, again, it's an excuse that doesn't uh, really have any, uh, any, any grounds, any evidence. Uh, you know, it's just something arbitrary that CEOs say you know, like, oh, I don't like to, I don't have enough time. I don't like to read all this content. So therefore my customers won't either. Mm-hmm. Again, you look at the data and you look at the companies that are doing a, a good job and then are getting customers online, it's content, right? It's, you have to create content, you know, content is still king. Um, things have changed in the way that we create that content in the format that it is, but um, it's more important now than it ever has been because there are so many different channels and uh, so, you know, little time to uh, catch someone's attention. Exactly. The other one, big one that we hear is, you know, they only measure success based on the number of leads generated. Yeah. Um, so the lead volume as the measure of success. Yeah. Again, goes back to what we talked about on really defining what you're hoping to accomplish and in the intent of each channel, because lead generation, demand generation are two completely separate activities. And so every single time, like buying a list of leads, right, from you know, Zoom Info, Discover Org, or something like that is going to be more cost effective, right? And that's a lot of times we see B2B companies, that's how they think of leads. It's like, these are leads that we can hand off to our salespeople to call on, right? That's how our business works. So when they tried to adapt that from a digital perspective, we go through the same motions of, let's just try to get, you know, a bunch of leads on LinkedIn ads or Facebook ads, or, you know, something like that of people that are on our website, downloading our, our content, or even just using tools like HubSpot or uh, Leadlander, all those type of things to just like reverse IP look up who's on the website, hand that list of leads off to, you know, our salespeople and just have them call on them. That's an old outdated method that I think is going away. I mean, I get probably 10 phone calls a day at least that, you know, my phone even says spam, spam call, spam call, spam call. Mm -hmm. If, you know, if someone's not in your contact list, you know, people aren't answering, people don't like to be disrupted, you know, cold calling, all those type of things. So leads is the is 100% the wrong metric uh, for any kind of business that you're you're in. Uh, we want to look at the value. We want to look at marketing sourced pipeline. We want to look at ROI, right? Revenue. And, you know, it'd be hard for you to explain to me a, a business model that you couldn't measure that. Um, even if you're selling through distribution channels, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to measure the quality of the lead, even if it's as simple as just uh, the way, you know, you look at the form submission and, and what kind of information they're putting in there, asking where they found you, looking at the company size, looking at the message box of how they, what kind of information they're looking for. Um, obviously, if you have CRM in place to be able to track back and look at, like I said, marketing source revenue, um, leads is is very, uh, you know, no pun intended, very misleading uh, metric uh, when you're looking at just the the raw number of leads because, how we define leads is uh, vastly uh, differs from company to company. Most certainly, the the next big one is obviously you know uh, not valuing the brand equity because most of the companies are probably just you know hey we, like you said going back to the lead volume like hey we didn't get enough leads we didn't get enough leads but in the process of doing marketing you're building a strong strong brand I think if you if you look at you know posting a job, you might say, "Hey, go post your job on Indeed," or you know searching for something, you just say, "Go Google that." Uh, watching a video is that I was watching it on YouTube, and if you're listening to music, you're on Spotify. Like you'll almost some of the tasks or things that you do in life almost became synonymous with a brand. Yeah. Uh, and then I think we spent an entire um, episode a couple couple months back 
just talking about search volume for certain terms versus the search volume for a brand name. Uh, for example, it was like marketing automation versus HubSpot or CRM versus Salesforce. And the volume of searches for the brand versus the actual product that they offer was considerably smaller. So I think most uh, business leaders undervalue the value of a brand and don't consider that as a measuring rod for why they should invest into that. How can they become an industry leader? How can they become a household name in their category? We're not saying they're going to become the next Google, but not investing enough to make their name known in the marketplace. So I think that is a, a big mistake that business leaders make. Yeah, 100% agree with that. It's uh, it's funny because it's almost the exact opposite of the problem that we talked about, you know, a couple of points ago, where, you know, traditionally these B two B companies, trade shows, in person events, um, you know, career fairs, all those type of things, flyers, brochures, uh, like I said, sponsoring local events, whatever that is. Uh, there, there's no measurement there on any of those activities where they look at and say, here's the number of leads, here's the number of uh, you know, opportunities, here's the revenue that we generated. It's just, here's the expense that we we spend. And it's just, you know, whatever percentage of our marketing, we're okay with spending that money because we know it's things that we need to do, right? Um, so that idea, for whatever reason, doesn't transition when it comes to digital uh, all the time, right? It's okay. Now, I understand this idea of digital marketing. I understand that it's more trackable and that we can see certain things and we can do performance-based marketing, Google ads. So now everything is going to be scrutinized in that same capacity to say, uh, you know, how many leads did we generate from each one of these activities, right? Uh, whereas before we were okay with doing brand awareness, like again, the idea of we have to go to every trade show just because we want to be, we want to be in the mix, right? There's all our peers, all of our competitors, all of our customers, we all go to this industry trade show every year and, and we want to make sure that we have a presence there. Um, I'm not saying that's a bad idea because that goes along with exactly what we're talking about now is like, there's something to the effect of building that brand awareness, that brand affinity. Um, because if we can't always generate uh, urgency, right. Or generate demand in the way that these customers are not going to be in the market for, you know, for, we have clients that sell heavy, you know, equipment, machinery, those type of things where it's like a huge capital expenditure, and they only make this purchase once every five years. What we want is that when that five year comes up, they go directly to us. They think of us. Like if they have to go get three quotes from potential customers, potential vendors, like we're always in that mix, right? And how we do that is by positioning ourselves consistently as a thought leader, as a, um, you know, uh, we want to build that affinity towards our brand, right? So that is a lot simpler to do digitally than it is, uh, you know, how traditionally, right? And we're not talking about, you know, buy, you know, buying brand of just paying to be all over the place, uh, you know, billboards and all these type of things like commercials. Like we're, we're talking about uh, things like we're doing now, right? Podcasts, LinkedIn, you know, content, creating conversations, um, turning, we always talk about turning your website into the Wikipedia for your industry, right? Like answer every potential question related to your industry, your audience. That's how we really build brand. Uh, and sometimes it's it's difficult to measure. Uh, we we've had podcasts and talked about uh, you know dark social and the dark funnel and uh, this idea that like you can't track and measure everything with these attribution tools. And the same thing happens here with with brand equity and building brand awareness online. We're okay with spending money on Google Ads if we can measure the exact amount of leads and what keywords they search for, but we're not okay spending money on other channels that. Um, you know, are a little bit more difficult to measure with all of these fancy and expensive attribution tools. So that's a big mistake that we see, uh, again, typically when it's right at that point when companies are like, okay, fine, you know, you convinced us, let's start investing into digital, but here's how I'm going to measure the results, right? And they're kind of dictating uh, the strategy based on that. Uh, and it, it really derails the whole campaign, the whole strategy. Yeah, I think there's some sort of an old stat that says it takes about nine to 13 touches for someone to have a brand recollection. So you got to be doing brand brand building uh, strategy and campaigns. You can't just rely heavily on legion only type of initiatives. Mm. Absolutely. The other big one is, you know, basing future strategic decisions on marketing investment based on failed attempts done incorrectly, right? So uh, there's a lot of companies have done, oh, I've done Facebook ad, it didn't work. Well, we've tried Google ads, it didn't work. Or we, we've been on social media, we don't generate any uh, traction from there. Oh, we used to blog, uh, we didn't get anything. Um, but it's usually because it was a failed attempt and they did, 
they usually have done it incorrectly. Uh, and because of that, they didn't see the results that they were looking for. They gave up probably pre pretty soon. Like starting a podcast, have 10 episodes and gave up because they didn't have subscribers or you know, start blogging and written 300 word blogs. And then now, you know, Google requires, you know, 1,500 to 3,000 words uh, to probably, you know, in that same category to, to rank for some, some key terms. So try certain things. And because the, the way that they approached it or the, the time they invested into it wasn't sufficient enough to kind of get the results they were looking for, yeah. they gave up too soon, now wrote off that entire channel or that strategy or that tactic to be ineffective, uh, which is a very, very big mistake. Yeah, and this is uh, extremely common. We see this all the time. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, there's so many variables that impact whether it was successful or not. Um, and we see this a lot where, well, we tried, you know, it's like you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like we, we tried digital, so digital doesn't work for us, right? We tried Google Ads, digital doesn't work. We tried Facebook, doesn't work. Um, without considering like, why didn't it work, right? And you know, we love to use uh, comparisons and we always, we always, uh, you know, I think, t you know, dieting or fitness or losing weight or whatever is, is always an easy one to, to compare to. I think it's perfect, you know, comparison for this type of thing is like, well, you know, I, I tried uh, working out before, like I didn't lose any weight. So, you know, I'm just, this is just the way I am now. Right. Or I, I try to diet, diets don't work for me. Right. Well, there's all so many variables that go into, and if you really you know, understand that you would, you would acknowledge like, yeah, there's, you know, did I actually try hard enough? Was I committed? You know, what type of diet was I on? How does that, you know, react with my body and the way that, you know, my you know chemical makeup is, um, what type of exercising did I do? I mean, there's so many variables that are going to impact that. Uh, and people, you know, as individuals, if you're really dedicated, you'll, you'll try and cycle through every single, you know, workout program and type and different gym and classes and different diet, you know, fat things that are fads and protein shakes and all these type of things. Right. And they, you know, if you're dedicated, you'll, you'll try until something works. And when it comes to marketing, again, we see a lot is like, uh, yes, you know, well, we had a marketing director that we hired, you know, four years ago and, um, they, they try to spend money on Google ads and we wasted, you know, $5,000 and we didn't get anything in return. So I'm not doing that again. Right. It's like, well, I mean, there's, again, was that the right strategy? Was that the right audience? Was that the right keywords? Was that the right person? You know, we talk about right person, right seat. Like, was that, did that person know what they were doing? Where were you sending the traffic to? Um, what was the intent of the users? What type of searches were we bidding on? What is the competition? What is the actual cost per click compared to the, the value of the lead that we're trying to generate? What do we do with those leads that were actually being generated? What did the inbound marketing and sales process look like? Um, I mean, there's, there's so many variables that for you to give up after one attempt is pretty crazy when you start thinking about it, but we see it all the time. Hey, thanks for listening. Solomon here. Are you frustrated because you're not getting enough inbound leads? You're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified, or maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rate from the leads to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone, right? Businesses go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes, uh, maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation, or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms, talk to one of our consultants. That's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at OneIMS and especially with this podcast is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right, so thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day. All right. Another common excuse misconception that we do hear all the time, Sam, is that, um, you know, our, our industry doesn't invest in digital marketing. Just like we said, you know, hey, our, our customers aren't online is one that we hear. Uh, we hear all the time, well, you know, our, our competitors aren't doing anything, right? So um, if therefore, if, if our competition isn't investing into digital, um, then it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for our industry. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the, the upside of, Whoever may have seen that the competitors aren't doing anything and did the first mover, you know, took the first mover um, step, they've mm -hmm. seen the first mover advantage. We've had very, very 
very many clients of ours in the industrial manufacturing sector who saw an opportunity where most of their competitors were just doing trade shows and trade publications and trade directories like Global Spec or ThomasNet, and that's their primary source of driving leads, um, started to invest into digital marketing and also leveraging technology for automation and um, getting better visibility into how their pipeline looks like, started to basically dominate the marketplace uh, and then became the go-to partner for many of their, um, many of their customers and partners. Um, so I think that is a, a big misconception. If they're, if they're perceiving the lack of investment from their competitors into digital marketing as their basis for a decision on whether or not to invest, then that's a, that's a big no-no. Absolutely. As you mentioned, they should look at this as uh, an opportunity to challenge that status quo and, and get that first move advantage. Be the first one in your industry, right? Um, not Don't look at it as, hey, our industry doesn't do this. Look at it as, wow, we can be the first in our industry to accomplish this. Um, another thing that we see a lot, um, you know, misconception, mistake that we see CEOs making, organizations making really is um, really not uh, understanding um, how an inbound sales process should work compared to what they're currently doing, uh, what their current sales process works or how their current sales process works, which leads to um, you know, misalignment between the marketing and, and sales teams, right? So you got a lot of finger pointing, um, you know, marketing is saying that, you know, sales is not following up with the leads or they're not, you know, they're not spending the time uh, to educate the lead or to understand what exactly they were looking for. Uh, sales complains about the quality of the leads or that, you know, these leads don't, don't understand or they don't know. Uh, because what happens is if you've traditionally in the B2B space only dealt with word of mouth referrals, um, you know, existing customers, you're managing a book of existing, you know, business, it's a completely different sales process. Um, and, you know, if you get, if you increase your online visibility, uh, inherently, you're going to increase your visibility for both good prospects and bad prospects, right? So, uh, you you know, if you got ten leads through the website, and six of them were maybe not qualified, uh, as a salesperson, you might get frustrated and say, "Well, you know, sixty percent of these leads are just a waste of time," right? Rather than building a system that will allow you to quickly identify who's a good fit and who's a bad fit, prioritizing the right leads. And spending time with those four leads that are good, uh, and those are four leads that you didn't have before, right? So, uh, the companies that have true sales and marketing alignment and have uh, proper dialogue and communication between those, you know, parts of the organization, uh, align their marketing messaging with the type of leads that the sales team is looking for, have a consistent feedback loop to understand uh, what's working, what's not working, which channels are driving the the most valuable leads, um, how the marketing messaging is impacting the sales velocity and the, the speed to actually close those deals as well as the average deal size and the the um you know actually ultimately the the lifetime value of that customer like we need to be able to measure all this we need to have those open dialogues uh if it's just a you know we're working independently and marketing is doing this sales is doing that uh and it's a constant blame game and finger pointing um that's where we see a lot of these mistakes being made yeah, and I think you know sometimes you have to do a little bit of soul searching and really ask yourself, do we have the right team in the place, right? Whether it be in the marketing function or in the sales function. Yeah. Uh, if our salespeople aren't doing a great job of follow through on the opportunities that are being created, or don't know how to really qualify opportunities, you know, when a lead is coming through, and as you just alluded to, inbound in, inbound leads can come in so many different forms. Like you know, someone who converted on an ebook or a webinar or request a code or talk to an engineer or a chat. All of those things are a completely different type of an approach uh, from a sales standpoint that you have to take to meet that buyer in, in their right stage in the buying process. So if the rep isn't very you know qualified or experienced enough to handle those different type of inbound lead types, uh, they might just either prematurely expecting the buyer to be ready to make uh, buying decisions or not aligning your your uh, you know your your sales process to match where they are right if someone came in looking for an sure. ebook maybe just be more informational educational and helpful someone who requested a code need to be much more uh, hands on in terms of getting them to the next step of getting a code and you know approved and whatnot so really the alignment uh, we couldn't emphasize it enough um, this really is uh, is it a make it or make it or break it Sure. Yeah, that's actually a perfect transition into the next, uh, you know, 
mistake that's on our list here because um, the next mistake is really all around uh, channel selection, understanding the intent of the channel, and then the proper measurement for that particular channel, right? So uh, what we see a lot is just like you said with you know understanding actual the actual lead, uh, we need to understand the intent of the user on each channel, right? Awareness channels versus you know high intent buyer related channels, right? So what we're saying is, you know, some the someone actively searching on Google for your specific product or service is a completely completely different in intent than someone who's passively scrolling through LinkedIn or um, through Facebook, right? Or reading an industry publication. So we need to make sure that we're not trying to, uh, you know, basically kind of copy and paste all of our marketing messaging and strategy across all these different channels where the users are di at different stages of the buyer's journey. They're in different mindsets. So we need to make sure that we understand our messaging uh, and the type of content we're going to promote in each channel, as well as, um, you know, how we're going to measure those channels, uh, how we're going to handle those leads uh, at each channel, or if, if we even want to generate a lead at a particular channel. So um, that's a huge misconception that that leads to a lot of these other mistakes that we see people making, like saying, well, you know, marketing doesn't work for us or this channel doesn't work for us uh, because we're not really aligned with the channel that we're, we're serving. Most certainly. This other big one is, you know, treating marketing as a faucet. Um, we've mm. seen, you know, time and time again, you know, business leaders, you know, knocking down our door, coming and say, well, we haven't hit our our target revenue for the last two quarters, uh, we can go into the la you know next quarter without hitting our revenue targets. What can we do now to turn on some leads because we need to create some opportunities uh, because we have to fill our pipeline. Uh, and then they're out of desperation, just trying to do something to create, you know, drum up business. So treating marketing as a faucet, as if something could be just turned on and just immediately have ROI come out of it. That's a big mistake or a misconception that we see. Absolutely. Um, and this comes up a lot, right? This comes up when uh, we see companies that have, have bought into the idea of digital and they say, yeah, this is exactly what we need to take our, our company to the next level. Um, but now we, we don't have the infrastructure in place, right? We don't have CRM in place. We don't have the, the sales team in place to handle and facilitate all these leads. And they're thinking so far in advance, which is great without really understanding that like, hey, some of these initiatives are gonna take time, right? Um, and so you wait for every condition to be perfect. Um, and with anything in life, if you wait for conditions to be perfect, uh, you're probably never gonna get started, right? Uh, we focus on, you know, progress over perfection is, you know, one of the things that we preach and uh, we need to build some momentum. We need to be forward moving and forward thinking and continuously improving. Uh, and those small improvements, uh, that compounding effect of those small improvements adds up over time. So that's one side of the faucet, right? It's like, let's wait to turn the faucet on until we have, you know, all of our buckets ready to catch the water. Um, the other side of it is, uh, you know, like you mentioned, we see, oh, we're seeing some success. So let's, you know, let's turn it off, right? Like we, we can't bring any more customers this month. So let's wait until next month, right? And on and off and on and off. And that's just not how marketing works. It's not, we talk about you know, building brand affinity and brand awareness and positioning yourself as a number one leader in the industry. Uh, I mean, you just don't see, you know, think about successful companies that, that you know, you don't see that happening, right? Like you don't, uh, oh, we, we don't have any, uh, you know, Coca-Cola to sell tomorrow. So turn off all of our ads, right? We'll wait until we have, like, you can't try to fluctuate and turn on and off, uh, you know, every day based on your availability. You need to build the systems in the back end to, to certainly handle the uh the demand and yeah i would say yeah if you are in a position where like somehow whatever business you're in like you can't take physically take on any more customers for the next three years like okay sure we'll probably adjust some of our our marketing initiatives but uh ultimately that is the goal right as an organization like you want to have a backlog of of pipeline you want to have so many people that want to do business with you that you're turning people away or that you're you know you have a waiting list to meet with you know a salesperson or uh, to, to make a purchase or to, you know, actually receive the product, whatever business you're in, like that's the goal. Right. And so, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that that's like a, a, you know, a negative, you know, effect of marketing or to say like, well, we, we can't handle it. So we're, you know, wasting money, so to speak on leads that we can't handle. Um, you know, that's a really good problem to have. And, uh, we do see it come up commonly, uh, and companies, like you said, making mistakes of trying to turn on and off this non-existent faucet. 
Most certainly. All right. Another one that we hear, Sam, I'd love to get your thoughts on this uh, because, you know, all the time, when again, it comes to the point where we start to understand like, hey, this is an effective route for us to take. We know we need to go digital. Uh, we do see our competitors going digital. Uh, I understand that as a consumer, I make purchases online. All these things that we've talked about, I'm bought in, I'm ready to go. But uh, I don't want to give away our secret sauce, right? We can't put that content on our website because it's going to give away our trade secrets. Our competitors are going to steal the information. They're going to figure out how we do this or how we do that. Um, and they're going to put us out of business. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a valid concern, uh, especially when you are you know, thinking about if you have a unique uh, sort of an offering and you want to make sure that you keep that, uh, keep that to yourself. But we're not proposing when you're, when you're thinking about creating content or uh, doing marketing on the web that you're giving away your trade secret. But the thing we need to, um, to address is your customers are asking questions to Google. They're going to YouTube asking those same questions. Are you the one giving them the information that they need to make an informed decision? Or is your competitors doing that? So it doesn't necessarily mean Coca-Cola you know, is going to go create a video that's teaching how to make a Coke, um, but they should be talking about what you can do to you know, get energy and get, you know, get your joy back and whatever those things that they would be doing, right? So if you're a, a manufacturing company or a SaaS company, you should be talking about the problem that's in the market um, that your software is solving for. Or if the people don't know the problem even exists or don't know how to articulate that problem, you should be the one teaching them how to, uh, how to diagnose if they have that problem internally in their organization, giving them the diagnostic tools to go do that, and then telling them how they can actually try to solve it on their own. Or by the way, th- there's a better way, use our solution to do it, right? So that's essentially how we, we see marketing working. It, it is an, um, an avenue that you can use to reach your customers, educate them, and then uh, empower them to be the heroes in their organizations. And you're just an enabler in that process. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. We're in the information age. Um, you know, the reality is someone's going to put that content out there. They're, they're going to find the information they're looking for. Um, and actually, they, they might find the wrong information, right? So, like, there's two things you're risking by not putting that content out there. One is they find your competition and a competition, you know, convinces them, hey, this is the right way to do it. Two, they find your competition and the competition is inaccurate, right? Or the wrong information. We actually see that a lot, especially in like very mm-hmm. technical fields. Uh, people are writing content. Uh, and so the content is going to be out there. And if someone does a Google search and researching some sort of a problem, uh, they trust you know, Google, right? They trust the top result is going to be the most accurate one. Uh, and, you know, we've worked with clients to say, well, actually that's not, that's not correct, right? Like that's not the process that you would take, but you know, if you're researching online, you don't know the difference. So, um, there's a huge challenge there. And then the other thing I would say is like, um, you need to, uh, the answer is you need to address every topic. You may not need to, to answer because you might not be able to, right? People ask, well, you know, I can't, I can't say what's the best process for this or that because of these five variables. Or I can't say, I can't, well, I can't tell you how much it's going to cost because uh, of this, this, and this, right? I would say the same thing if it were us, right? As digital marketers, like, yeah, we can't have our pricing on our website because everything we do is custom, right? Well, well, here's the impact. This is, these are the variables that impact our pricing. Well, how much does it cost to do digital marketing? I can't just put a number out there. But I can say, well, here's what you need to consider when building a digital marketing budget. What is the size of your company? What are the number of clients that you're trying to bring on? Which channels do you need to play in? What is the level of competition? Here's the things you need to consider in Google AdWords. Here's how the AdWords auction works. Here's the um, you know, cost per click. Here's what you know, average conversions rates might be. Here's a calculator that you can use if you're trying to figure out how much budget you need to spend based on your conversion rates to get a certain number of leads. There's so much content that you can create that addresses the topic without answering or without giving anything away. Um, and then the final point I would make on that is if your secret sauce, so to speak, is truly that easy to copy, you know, we're talking about your differentiator in your business, that you're worried that your competitor, if they know this one piece of information, they can take it and steal our ideas, steal our process. If it's truly that easy to copy, it's probably not that big of a differentiator and it's probably not that difficult for them to figure out in the first place, right? Um, you know, there's a, you know, a number of different ways they can figure out what your process looks like, what features you have available. Um, you know, putting it on your website, not putting it on your website rather, so that just your one or two competitors don't see it. 
uh, in risking the fact that hundreds of thousands of potential customers aren't learning about you, uh, it's really not worth it, right? You're, you're, uh, again, you're, it's kind of backwards thinking and it's, uh, it's too conservative for the world that we live in where information is, is everywhere and, and our customers are certainly going to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can go on hours and hours with uh, a lot more, uh, excuses and, and, uh, and misconception. We will wrap it up with one last one, which is being happy with the status quo and not challenging the current team and the strategies. Uh, this we've seen time and time again. I mean, it could be like if you're the senior leader of an organization, you have the same people sitting in that same function for the last three years, four years. Sometimes we've even seen 30 right. years in that same function. You have to be doing some serious soul searching and asking, has this person brought up new ideas? Are they bringing up new and innovative ways to solve this business challenge that we have of acquiring customers? Uh, are they looking at our competitors and finding uh, finding things that we're not doing or where's the opportunity that we're leaving leaving behind? Uh, are they introducing new channels or even new methods of reaching our end customers? If they're not bringing any new ideas or even uh, talking about technology that they're, they would like to try in the organization or implement new sort of a uh, tool set or new method of advertising, if they're not doing any of those things and all they are doing is uh, like we kind of uh, talked about earlier, trade shows, any any sort of activities that can be perceived as marketing, trade shows, sales sheets, um, you know, marketing collaterals, you know, buying promo products, you know, doing some local events and putting your logo on the kids' local basketball um, jerseys. If those are all they do and they have just been super comfortable with it and, and they do for trade publication, um, you know, half page or quarter page ad, and that's all they do. And then you got to be asking yourself, are we just satisfied with the status quo or is it time to challenge our current team and the strategies that we've uh, employed for the last whatever number of years? Yeah. Yeah. And that comes down to really kind of the culture that you create internally is like, do we have a culture that is okay with testing and really ultimately okay with failure, right? Because as marketers, we have to constantly be failing in different strategies in order to figure out what's working uh, or what could work. Um, And so we do see that a lot. Like you said, it's like, well, you know, uh, John, you know, manages our marketing and, uh, you know, so if any information that I get as a CEO is like, well, here's what, you know, these companies are doing, uh, and here's how you can do SEO and here's how things can do in paid search and here's what social media and here's how you should be building a, uh, a training, you know, uh, program for your customers to educate them and all these type of things. Like there's no way that as a CEO of a, a B2B organization, you're not getting, you're not seeing this information anywhere, right? What happens is you see it and then we, they pass it off to John, who's the marketing person. And then John, well, John looked into it. John said, this doesn't work for our industry or John said this or that. And it's like, well, what gives John uh, the the right or the ability? Like, does he have the the skill set and the knowledge to say yes or no, we should try this? And, and on what basis is he making that? Uh, you know, is he, is he just afraid that if he tries something, uh, it's, you know, it might fail and then that reflects poorly on him? Uh, is he c- concerned about budget that, you know, he wants to sit, you know, stay within the budget that was given to him. Like you need to create a culture around like, we're okay with trying and testing new things. And it's not a personal, it's if you fail John, right. In this scenario, it's not that, Hey, John is the wrong, wrong person. Um, and bringing on outside help is not a threat to your job. Hiring more people internally is not a threat to your job. So like, that's something we see a lot of times and it's really just friction between, you know, the, the marketing person and the CEO or, um, you know, fear, right. Of, of, like you said, challenging the status quo, rocking the boat when, you know, things are okay right now, they're happy with my job performance. Now, why would I go and, and, you know, stick my neck out and risk, uh, you know, wasting money, so to speak, or losing money on something that I'm not confident in. So, that's a huge, huge thing that we see all the time, uh, especially as you mentioned in maybe some of these more old school manufacturing organizations where the the marketing director has been the marketing director for 30 years. And, you know, it's like very obvious to see that 30 years ago, uh, what was, you know, taught in school for marketing and what was effective in, in practice for marketing is not, not effective today or not as effective today. And even the digital landscape today, you know, five years ago, you could say the same thing. You can't still be doing the same thing you were doing five years ago today. So you need to create a culture around, again, consistent growth and innovation, or you will get stuck in that, that rut of status quo. 
Most certainly. And I think I remember uh, watching a video of Elon Musk's uh, kind of share exactly what you said. It is a cultural problem where he said, uh, you know, our organizations have been designed to reward the people who just perform, you know, don't make mistakes. But if you also have a, a system to reward the people who took risks and then they get rewarded according to the results uh, that came out of it, right? So if you have some way to reward uh, innovation and, and trying new things, that would actually encourage people. And it would show that, hey, we, we do encourage people to come up with new ideas and test new things um, because you're not going to get punished. You actually get rewarded if the, the results are accordingly. And you don't get penalized for making that mistake, but you're actually encouraged to go try something new again. Absolutely. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. Please give us a like, subscribe, share this with a colleague, a friend, send it to your CEO if if you're listening and and you feel like some of these mistakes are being made. Uh, we, you know, our intention was not to shame anybody or to you know make uh, excuses for for ourselves or for anybody else. It's just to bring to light that again we we hear these common misconceptions and excuses a lot. Um, and ultimately the, the companies that acknowledge that, yeah, that's probably the wrong way to think about it. Those are the ones that we are, see are, are winning, right? So it's not that all companies are making these mistakes, but the ones that are truly, uh, as you mentioned, creating a culture of innovation and, and risk-taking, um, the ones that are embracing, uh, changes in the way that buyers are making decisions, the ones that are trying to truly build brand affinity and create a best-in-class inbound marketing experience, trying to educate and empower their customers. Those are the ones that have uh, you know, looked in the mirror and acknowledged that, hey, this is the old way of thinking. Uh, I, need to, I need to make some adjustments. We need to make some adjustments as an organization. So again, please give us a like, subscribe, tune in for next week for another episode of Growth Marketers. All right, so if you enjoyed this episode, here are five things that you could do to help us. Number one, make sure you click that subscribe button so you never miss another show. Number two, share this with a friend that you know needed to hear this. And three, leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, your ideas, things that you've learned so others can learn from you. And four, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know so we can put that in our notes and share our insight All right, for our next episode or the one after that. And finally, you guys, join other growth marketers. Head over to oneims.com and check out all the resources that we have made just for you. I'm talking guides, webinars, blogs, videos, anything that could help you become a growth marketer. All right. So thanks a lot for joining us this week on the Growth Marketers Podcast, and I will see you next time.